We thank the worship ministry for that tremendous opportunity to worship the Lord in song. You know, one of the things I want to encourage you to recognize and realize is that uh, worship is not an event. It's not an activity. It's a lifestyle. It's how we live in terms of honoring God and all that we do and all that we say. Uh, it's wonderful to worship the Lord in singing, but it's important for you to understand that uh, there are multiple elements of worship in the New Testament. Uh, baptism is an act of worship. Uh, giving is an act of worship. Singing is an act of worship, but praying is also an act of worship. Fasting is an act of worship. Preaching and teaching is an act of worship. And we want to make sure that those acts of worship help facilitate within us a lifestyle of worship so that in our day-to-day -day living we recognize that we are to honor God in all that we do and all that we say let's pray as we prepare for the word today father we thank you and bless you for this day we pray now that everything that we do and everything that we say will be pleasing in your sight bless now as only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So there were generations of people who came to America for the American dream. And I'm not talking about recent immigrants. It started long before recent immigrants came. I'm going back into the 17, 1800s. We can go back to the Puritans, uh, for example. Those who came on the Mayflower, they came here looking for a better life. And, and there was this thought, the American dream, as people would call it, where, where you would come here was the land of opportunity. You would come, you would work hard, you would save, and, and, and you could get uh, rich, you could get wealthy, you could uh, basically experience the American dream that was not experienced in other places or in other countries. And there were people who worked hard and sacrificed, invested wisely, uh, got opportunities, and they did really well. But we have a generation now, many of whom uh, really tout themselves as influencers, who didn't work hard, who didn't sacrifice, uh, who didn't save, who didn't invest wisely, uh, they were just born into wealth. They were born into wealth. And, and this is far beyond old mainline money. No, there are those who, who are recently wealthy who have children who were born into wealth, whether they uh, made their fortunes in uh, sports and athletics or in, in music or entertainment or, or, or technology. They, they, they have children who were born with a silver spoon. They, 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 we call them uh, trust fund babies. Trust fund babies. And, and one of the famous trust fund babies, maybe uh, the one who is the most famous of all, is, is a young lady by the name of Paris Hilton. Paris Hilton. Uh, Paris Hilton is the great-granddaughter of Conrad Hilton. The great-granddaughter of Conrad Hilton. And if that name sounds vaguely familiar, Conrad Hilton was the founder of Hilton Hotels. Uh, her net worth alone is in excess of $100 million. 
her net worth is in excess of, never had to work a day in her life. Uh, she began modeling as a teenager when she was with Donald Trump's modeling agency, T Management. Um, she, she, she wasn't known for her hard work. She was known for her hard partying, right? Because she's a person that, that partied hard and, and had million-dollar splurges for trifles. And, and it led her to, to have an, a, a leading position in many of uh, the tabloid magazines and tabloid TV shows. I mean, there was a time when you couldn't turn on an, an entertainment show without seeing or hearing the name Paris Hilton mentioned. Now, here's the truth. I don't think there's any one of us who would say we wouldn't want to trade places with Paris Hilton in terms of her wealth. I think the overwhelming majority of us would would acknowledge, not, not that you would necessarily want to trade lives, but you would probably want to trade bank accounts with her, right? I mean, to be wealthy, to have a level of financial security, and to not have to live paycheck to paycheck, uh, week to week, month to month, to be able to write a check and not even worry about it, to, to pull out a credit card and not even worry about whether or not you're at your limit because you have a credit card that has no limits, right? I mean, I think all of us would, would want that experience. What, what, wouldn't it be amazing to be born into that kind of family? Well, my brothers and sisters, here's the truth. The overwhelming majority of us will never experience that. Neither will our children or our children's children. But today, I want to share something with you. I, I want you to think about this for a moment. Uh, trust fund babies are all over the place. And, and one of the things that we have observed is that there is not a direct correlation between having money and having happiness. Uh, we're seeing a rise, for example, in suicides in our world. And, and we're shocked and amazed when we see somebody with fame, fortune, with money, with, with, with all of the trappings of life taking their life. We, we can't understand it because even in our minds, we think money gives you a level of happiness. Fame gives you a level of happiness that should keep you from ever having to consider ending your own life. My brothers and sisters, here's what I want you to know. In the word of God, God shows us that while a birthright is a blessing, a birthright from people is never greater than a blessing from God. And so over the next several weeks, I want to deal with this subject, why a blessing is better than a birthright. Why blessings are better than a birthright. The character that we want to focus on or actually two characters, three characters in particular, uh, Esau, Jacob, and Isaac. Esau, Jacob, and Isaac. They, they give us a picture of, of, of the distinction between a birthright and a blessing and why a blessing is better than a birthright. 
Now, some of you may be asking, wait a minute, Pastor, why, why would you ask that question? Look, listen to me carefully. Don't, don't miss this. Esau was willing to give up his birthright for a bowl of stew. But he was ready to kill his brother over a stolen blessing. And my brothers and sisters, there are people who are out here today who will tell you, you know what, we need to rightfully claim our birthright, that our birthright has been stolen from us. And my brothers and sisters, while a birthright may have been stolen from us, and the people who may have stolen a birthright certainly aren't willing to give it back now, here's the truth of the matter. A blessing is always better than a birthright. And I'm going to argue it right here from the text. Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis 25, Genesis chapter 25. Esau was Rebekah's firstborn son, closely followed by Jacob, who was his twin. The circumstances connecting his birth foreshadowed the coming enmity between these twin brothers, who were not identical, but they were fraternal twins. And that conflict that existed between these brothers would be carried on in the nations they founded. In the process of time, Jacob followed his natural bent and became a shepherd. Esau followed his bent and became an outdoorsman. And these two, while they were twins, were very different from one another. And the Bible says that Esau understood what came with a birthright and understood what came from a blessing. Jacob understood it as well and did everything he could to get all that he could, including deceptively tricking his father to get the blessing that belonged to his brother Esau. Here's the point I want you to see today. If you're going to understand why blessings are better than a birthright, number one, you need to realize a birthright is tied to your place in your natural family while blessings are tied to the favor of God upon your life. A birthright is tied to your place in your natural family while blessings are tied to the favor of God in your life. Listen to me carefully. Genesis 25, I'm going to start reading at verse 26. Afterward, his brother came out and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Esau was a daddy's boy. Jacob was a mama's boy. Verse 29, now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die. 
So what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore. He swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, when I say a blessing is better than a birthright, maybe the first thing we need to understand is, what is a birthright? What is a birthright? The birthright is privilege and responsibility that typically goes to the firstborn or eldest son. Now, now don't miss this. Uh, Daughters, if there was a son involved, were not eligible for the birthright. As a matter of fact, in this patriarchal, misogynistic society, uh, women were not viewed as equals. So if a man had no sons, uh, it would go to the, the next son's eldest son, his nephew, uh, if not the nephew, a cousin. But they would find a man somewhere who would be eligible for this birthright. And the birthright gave the person who had it certain cases. It was only extreme circumstances that a daughter could be eligible for a birthright. Now listen carefully. Let, let me give you several things that came with that birthright. Uh, first, the judicial authority of the father came with that birthright. The judicial authority. It gave the person who had the birthright superior rank in the family and authority over the other family members of the family. If there was ever a problem in the family that needed to be resolved, the firstborn son was the person whose word was law in the absence of his father. The birthright gave him judicial authority. Uh, We see that in Genesis chapter 49, verse 3. The text says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Reuben, the firstborn, had the birthright. Look at B. The birthright not only gave the person judicial authority, but it gave them a double portion of the paternal inheritance. It gave them a double portion of the paternal inheritance. Uh, Deuteronomy 21, verse 17 says, But he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife as the firstborn by giving him a double portion of all that he has. For he is the beginning of his strength, the right of the firstborn is his. So it went something like this. If a man had two sons, his estate would be divided into three parts, and the firstborn, the son with the birthright, would get two shares, and the other son would get one share. If there were three sons, the estate would be divided into four parts, The oldest son would get two, the other two sons would get one part each. Are you following me? So the birthright would give the son who was the firstborn 
double the portion of the paternal inheritance. It didn't stop there, though. The birthright would also give that firstborn son spiritual authority. So he not only had judicial authority to rule over any disputes within the family, but he had spiritual authority, and that spiritual authority brought with it spiritual responsibility. Uh, Look at verse 17, Numbers chapter 8. For every firstborn among the sons of Israel is mine, among the men and among the animals, on the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. But I have taken the Levites instead of every firstborn among the sons of Israel. I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron and to his sons from among the sons of Israel to perform the service of the sons of Israel at the tent of meeting and to make atonement on behalf of the sons of Israel so that there will be no plague among the sons of Israel by their coming near the sanctuary. Prestige, power, property were central to the birthright. It gave position that could not be acquired in any other way. But notice the birthright was limited to just the firstborn. And the firstborn, while they had privileges, had responsibility and pressure to make sure they took care of and provided for the rest of the family. Esau comes in, he's hungry. His brother's making a stew, he's like, feed me. And Jacob sees a prime opportunity. Now you're talking about an unfair trade. I mean, you know, that, that, that deal was, 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 was a bigger, a bigger uh, steal than, than the buying of Manhattan Island for a few trinkets from the Native Americans. But, but here's, here's what's interesting. Esau didn't value it. And because Esau didn't value it, Jacob saw an opportunity. Matter of fact, the text says Esau despised his birthright. That word despise is an interesting word um, because it literally means to have a careless indifference for, a disregard for. Person doesn't value it at all. It doesn't, doesn't see it as important. And here's what's interesting. The oldest son could sell his birthright or give it away if he chose, but in so doing, he would lose the material goods and his leadership position in the family. Esau didn't care about any of that. Esau said, man, look, I'm hungry. A birthright's not going to do me any good to feed me. Take it. Here's what I need you to know. Don't forget this. The birthright was limited to a certain person or people. It was limited to the firstborn or the oldest. It was limited primarily to sons. The birthright was limited to certain possessions. It was limited to what a person before you had. In other words, that birthright was only tied to what my father had before me. So if your father didn't have much, 
the birthright didn't mean much. If your father had a lot, the birthright would mean more. But if your father was poor, the birthright really would be more responsibility than it was reward. Thirdly, the birthright was limited to the wants or wishes of your provider. You may not realize this, but watch this. The birthright could be given away by the oldest son, or the birthright could be taken away from the oldest by the father. In other words, while it was his, his natural uh, thought that it would go to the older son, the father could take the birthright away and give it to another. Somebody, you ought to be shouting right now because, because here's, here's the wonderful thing about God. The favor of God, Lord have mercy, the favor of God is not dependent upon who you are is not limited to you in terms of your gender or your ethnicity. The favor of God cannot be taken by somebody else away from you. The favor of God, the blessing of God in your life comes to you regardless of from whence you've come. Matter of fact, watch this. The favor of God can bless you even if those who came before you had nothing. God can bless you right there. For someone in here, if you were going to accept a double portion of what your family has, two times of nothing is nothing. Two times of a little is just a little more than a little. And if you got to divide it up, then it's even less than that. So a double portion of nothing is still nothing. But God can bless you with something even when you start with nothing. And I need somebody to understand as we talk about why blessings are better than a birthright. Don't, don't, don't limit me. Because God has not limited me based on where I've come from. Or what my mom and daddy had or my grandparents had or where they were from, or where I live, God has not limited me because he has not limited where his favor can go. God can bless you regardless of where you come from. God can bless you regardless of who you are. God can bless you regardless of what you have. God can bless you regardless of what anyone else wants you to have or what somebody else says or does. Lord have mercy. Boy, if I had time, I, I'd shout right there. Because somebody needs to understand how wonderful it is to recognize that even if I don't have, based on who I am, God can still bless me with whatever I need and whatever I desire. My brothers and sisters, listen to me carefully. When folk want to argue with you about a birthright, let them know you're living beyond a birthright. You're living in the favor of God, in the blessings of God. Can you imagine just for a moment? I'm, I'm going to let you go, but can you imagine just for a moment? 
how many family members were upset or just live with the fact that they wouldn't get the birthright? You, you think there was any envy in the family? You think there was any envy among family members when they looked at the oldest and they said, oh, he got, he got, he got a double portion. Oh, he got more than everybody else. Oh, we got to listen to him now. You think, you think anybody may have had some feelings about that? But here's what God says. God says it doesn't matter whether you were the first born or the last born. You could be the oldest or the baby in the family. You could be the black sheep of the family. You could be despised by others, misunderstood, mistreated, and guess what? The favor of God can still rest in your life. And there's somebody who's, who's watching right now. I, I, I dare you to put in the text, I'm a living testimony. I'm a living testimony. I'm a living testimony that that if you check my birthright, I didn't have much going for me based on my birthright. But all oh, when you look at my life and you see the blessings of God on my life, I can testify that a blessing is better than a birthright. We as a people can testify. Brought to a land in chains against our will. Stripped of our heritage, stripped of our culture, stripped of our name, stripped of our family identity. But guess what? Even with that, you know what? We've still been blessed by God. Folk who said you wouldn't make it now can only look and if they have any sense, marvel. And you can testify and say, look what the Lord has done. People who said you wouldn't amount to because of where you were born and how you were born, how you were conceived. <laughs> Somebody just wave your hand, clap your hand and testify that a blessing is better than a birthright. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for privilege and opportunity to be able to lift our voices and testify that while the birthright is tied to the natural, we thank you, God, because blessings are tied to the supernatural. And regardless of what people say, and regardless of what people do, God, we honor you today because we know we are here right now because of the blessings of God in our lives. So God, we give you glory and honor. We ask you to bless right now as only you can. That your word has found fertile ground in the hearts and minds of your people. And that we would be more than hearers of your word. We will be doers as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
My brothers and sisters, if you are watching today and God has spoken to you, I want to give you an opportunity to respond. I believe the word of God always deserves a response. The old preacher would say, the word of God will either draw you or drive you. It'll either draw you to God or drive you away from God. Drive you away towards your sins. But you have an opportunity to say yes to the Lord today. If you're listening today and you want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, you want to become a Christian. I need somebody to know you're not born into it and just grow up being a Christian in terms of your relationship with the Lord. It's a decision that you have to make. A decision Paul talks about in Romans where you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says you can be saved. You can become a child of God. You can become a Christian. John chapter 1 said it like this. He came unto his own, talking about Jesus. And his own received him not, but to as many as received him. To them he gave power to become the sons of God. If you have to become something, that means you were not it before you became. Many people mistakenly say, I'm a child of God based on creation. No, you are a creation of God. But you're not a child of God until you make a decision that has been spurred within you by the Holy Spirit. Somebody said it like this, the Son of God became the Son of Man that the sons and daughters of men, that's me and you, could become the sons and daughters of God. But remember, you have to become. And that becoming is based on a decision. If you want to ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, if you want to become a Christian, just click on the link right now that says, I want to be saved. I want to become a Christian. And I will show you how to pray the prayer of salvation and ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your life. I want to thank God for uh, over a hundred people who have uh, not only become part of our church family, uh, hundreds, but people who have asked the Lord Jesus Christ into their life. Contact us and let us know if you will, please, so we can help facilitate your discipleship on the digital platform. We've got some really exciting things that we are pulling together and we're looking forward to God using those projects using those programs to help you grow in your walk with God just like we do here at the Good Hope Church on our physical campus. If you're looking for a church home and you believe this is where God wants you to be or God wants you to connect with us, then just click on the link that says I want to join the church and we would love to have you part of our church family. Uh, now remember it's not about rituals, it's not about routines, uh, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship with the God who loves you so much. He loves you where you are, but he doesn't want to leave you there. He wants to make something beautiful out of your life. But God won't do it without your permission and without your participation. You've got to say, yes, Lord. And when you say yes to God, God can say yes to you. Think about that imagery in Revelation with Jesus standing at the door and knocking and asking those on the other side of the door to open the door and let him come in and sup with them. 
And there's a great picture painting of Jesus knocking at the door. No knob on the door, no handle on the door on the outside because the person on the inside has to open the door. That's you opening up the door into your life. All right. God bless you and God be with you is my prayer. Remember, God is doing something wonderful in you. God is doing something wonderful in me. Man, just embrace what God is trying to do. And instead of praying, asking God, God, get me out of this situation. Maybe you need to pray and say, God, what are you trying to teach me? What do you want me to get out of this situation? Because everything in life is intended to teach us a lesson. It'll teach you something about yourself. It'll teach you something about other people and or it'll teach you something about God. All right. God bless you and God be with you is my prayer.